Shadow Talk. Welcome to another episode of Shadow Talk, the weekly podcast brought to you by the Digital Shadows Analyst Team. In this week's episode, more block paying for cryptocurrencies as Japanese Bitcoin exchange suffers $500 million theft. DDoS attacks on Dutch banks blamed on Russia, but is it all a load of waffle? New activity in Old Catalonia and how this could signal a change for the anonymous collective. And also new developments in the Spectre and Meltdown saga. All this and more on this week's Shadow Talk. Hello everyone, I'm Rafael Amado and joining me this week are Mark Tibbs. Mark, how are you? I'm well, thanks, Raf. And back again, we have Rose Bernard. Hi, happy to be back. Great. And introducing Sam Pullen. Sam, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Great. So a lot to get through this week. So to kick things off, a quick roundup of the latest Spectre and Meltdown news. Mark, what have you got for us? Yes, well, the saga continues with uh, these two uh, chip vulnerabilities. Uh, And actually, this week, we saw the first glimpses of threat actors trying to incorporate the already released proof of concepts into their malware. So we saw researchers from several different antivirus and cybersecurity companies were reporting that multiple malware samples contained the code that was designed to exploit the vulnerabilities. However, um, you know, the researchers were saying and they assessed that this was just a testing phase rather than actually representing sort of uh, in the wild exploitation. Um, and then also, uh, maybe more interesting, I thought, was uh, the disclosure on the 31st um, that a pen testing tool called Canvas from a company called Immunity, um, they made a tweet that looked like they were claiming in their next release they'd be including a Spectre module uh, that was capable of leaking password hashes from the operating system stored in the um, ETC shadow file. Um, so this is significant uh, as it shows the potential weaponization uh, for use of these vulnerabilities, in this case, uh, in the pursuit of um, privilege, privilege escalation. Um, so I guess time will tell if these modules are actually useful uh, and accordingly threat actors and pen testers alike will no doubt be testing these out in their attacks in the near future. So if I look into my crystal ball, I'd say we're not far off seeing a genuine attack using one of these vulns in the next month or so. So should organisations be, be worried about this? Well, I think if you're a corporate security person listening to this and thinking, you know, so what, I think the advice still stands to follow, um, you know, your vendor's advice for patching these vulns if possible. And to be clear, um, the imminent threat from these vulns is still not enormous, but it does uh, demonstrate that threat actors are more likely to try and use these in what I would say would be sort of fairly sophisticated attacks. But you think it's only a matter of time between, before something comes out? That's, that is a pure speculation on my part, but yeah. All right, moving on to the big stories of the week. <coughs> First up, we have what's been described as the biggest cryptocurrency heist in history. So earlier this week, it was revealed that attackers had stolen over $534 million worth of NEM cryptocurrency from CoinCheck, an exchange based in Japan. Sam, can you tell us a bit more? Yeah, sure. So this was, uh, yeah, this was pretty huge. And yeah, essentially, there's been quite a lot of reporting that's followed from that. And so we'll be digging into a little bit of that as well. But essentially, as, you know, as Rafa just pointed out, um, there, you know, on the 26th of January, uh, it was first reported that the CoinCheck cryptocurrency exchange, which is Japanese based, was uh, was targeted. And it was, as you also said, it was a very specific type of cryptocurrency that was targeted. And um, and yeah, really, all of this money was largely taken in one go and was sent to one digital address. So that was about 57.6 billion yens worth, um, with the rest being transferred between seven other accounts. 
now, this was reportedly done because this money was kept by CoinCheck in what's known as a hot wallet, which means it's connected to the internet. And we, we will, we'll dig into that as well in a little while. But it, as opposed, sorry, to a cold digital wallet, which is one which is kept offline. Um, Understandably, this had a pretty drastic effect on the valuation of the cryptocurrency. It initially dropped by 18.46%, which is pretty huge considering in the month prior to that, it really only fluctuated to within about 1%. Um, now, in response to this, the uh, the CoinCheck have said that they intend to reimburse pretty much the whole amount. Uh, that's a statement that really is still waiting to be verified. It's obviously a lot of money that you've got to try and pay back to uh, to a lot of people um, and you know following that as well and this was reporting that's only just come through today uh, their their headquarters was raided by the Japanese uh, financial services agency so it's, it's all on the go and you know they're still reporting emerging pretty much on a daily basis as you'd, as you'd expect from a heist this big so this is um, in Japan where that's the same uh, country as Mt. Gox isn't it that that um, is the last it um, is yeah big and sort of that happened in 2014 and uh, and yeah it took it took Mt. Gox down so so yeah whether it remains to be seen if that's going to be the same fate of Coincheck um, but like I say this is this is pretty notable in its in its size in pure sort of uh, monetary value is this the biggest heist that anyone's ever seen? I think it might be the biggest theft I've ever sort of heard of because um, it's, what, half a billion dollars? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, to my mind, it is as well. Um, and what's interesting as well is, you know, how are you going to launder just that amount of money? And we've already heard some early reporting of criminals trying to launder relatively small amounts of it. Well, relatively small amounts, like well, $83 a pop, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was in, in chunks of uh, 100 NEM coins at a time. Um, so at the moment, law enforcement is observing where they move very closely, but I guess we're going to be doing more reporting on that in the near future. So we'll probably be, we'll be able to provide an update on that. So it continues the theme of cryptocurrencies being targeted. Raf, there was a paper out this week, wasn't there? Yeah, just for our listeners to be aware of. So we recently published a new paper on cryptocurrency fraud. Uh, the paper's called The New Gold Rush. It looks into many of the different techniques used to conduct crypto fraud includes a broader discussion about what's causing this type of activity, so the drivers behind it, as well as mitigation and protective measures for organizations and individuals. So this is available on the Digital Shadows website. Uh, we'll also be airing this extra special podcast next week, where Mike will be back to join me to discuss the paper in more detail. Do we um, think that it's therefore going to have an, a way, an effect on how these exchanges are regulated? Because CoinCheck wasn't, right? Yeah, absolutely. So CoinCheck wasn't registered with the, the Japanese Financial Services Agency. And I think this is really going to expedite the demands for such regulation. Um, it's also probably going to be a bit of, you know, like a, a signal to other attackers who, uh, you know, are going to are going to take note of this and, and see that really it's a it's a space that's that's waiting to be exploited. Thanks for that, Sam. So while cryptocurrency might be the new frontier of cybercrime, let's take things back a bit to something a bit more traditional. So I'm thinking about DDoS attacks against banks. And this week, the Dutch financial services industry seems to have a pretty chaotic time. Mark, what exactly went on? Yeah, so what happened? Well, in this week, we learned that Dutch banks were experiencing unexplained DDoS attacks. Um, on the 29th of January, Rabobank said it was affected by an attack. And then subsequently, other Dutch companies also reported DDoS operations targeting their infrastructures. Um, so the, um, the, the size of the activity was relatively small. It was 40 gigabits per second. Um, uh, so it's relatively limited if it's accurately um, reported. Uh, I suppose what got people interested about this uh, case, so uh, you know, without 
um, the context of this, it seems like um, something that might um, happen, um, you know, fairly frequently. Everyone quickly started pointing the finger at Russia. Yeah, so that's, I suppose that's the kind of interesting aspect of it, is the timing of it. So um, I think it was a few days before uh, there was a load of reporting that came out um, around the Dutch intelligence agencies um, who allegedly gained access to um, the Russian intelligence services um, in, a, uh, in, a ha- in a hack the hackers kind of way. So they were targeting a group called Cozy Bear, APT29, who were involved in the attack uh, against the DNC um, uh, prior to the um, uh, the election. So obviously in the United States, in the United sorry. States, yeah. So so this had sort of um, uh, a political interest slant to it, I suppose. Um, however, there's absolutely, as far as I can see, absolutely zero evidence that this is this is linked, other than the coincidence in the timing and the targets, I suppose. Um, but I mean, you know, the banks are not um, uh, the intelligence. They're not the Dutch intelligence agencies. That I suppose they are part of the critical national infrastructure in in um, the Netherlands. Um, but yeah, so I mean, there were, a company came out and stated that the attacks were delivered by Zbot Zeus, um, which is a, a well-known sort of crime botnet used um, for uh, it's a banking trojan, really. Um, so it's kind of an unusual use of uh, of Zeus for um, for DDoS. Um, uh, yeah, and actually, one Zeus, you know, for this kind of thing hasn't, you know, it's been around for ages. The source codes around, so I mean, attributing it to Russian actors is pretty tenuous, anyway, because it's um, the source codes out there. As I well, mean, what so. would the motivation be if if it was a nation state? It's it, you know, it's funny. I don't know really. Uh, it, 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 looking at it from an out, external perspective, it looks like a petulant child kind of reacting to some news, doesn't it? So I, I, I think maybe you could you could look to. Um, you know, and the media probably will look to um, uh, join the, you know, link these two events together. Um, they may not have picked up on this at all had it not been for the um, uh, the revelations in the news about the um, uh, surveillance on on Cozy Bear. Um, you know, so it's possibly um, a big nothing burger. Um, but again, you know, it, there was a case um, I think uh, a couple of years ago, or maybe last year, um, where Swedish media agencies were. Um, uh, DDoS attacked and again that was following um, the disclosure of a um, I think it was a military report it was a police, police, military, police report, yeah. military report about um, the, um, the 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 um, efforts of the um, Russian state to um, uh, influence public influence opinion, public opinion. Yeah, so 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 yeah so I mean you know there's precedent for this but I would I would sort of take it with a huge bag of salt basically so speaking of DDoS actors Rose there's been a recent increase in all Catalonia activity Yes, there has. <laughs> uh, yes, no, we've had um, Op Catalunya, which is the anonymous operation, anonymous collective operation, I should say, which started on October the 2nd in support of Catalan independence. It then kind of peaked and troughed and went up again surrounding the regional elections in the 20, on the 21st of December. And we've just seen one of the coordinating groups behind it, which are an anonymous faction called Anon Plus, call for something that they're calling imaginatively op catalonia new so to for our kind of um uninvested uh new uh, listeners who may be not familiar with um hacktivist language why why are they all called op something and you know how are they coordinated and who who does it and who are anonymous oh oh that's such a good question and would take me longer to explain than we probably than Raph is probably willing to us to yeah, give us enough. on this yeah, podcast. Right. Go all day, go for it. All right. Well, essentially, 
Anonymous, the anonymous collective is fundamentally misunderstood in a lot of reporting because we have a tendency to refer to it as anonymous. Um, actually, anonymous are kind of like, are kind of to cyber activism what Rihanna is to the Met Gala in the sense that she turns up and she's wearing something and it's definitely in keeping with the theme and it's very objectively, structurally interesting, but nobody really understands it and it's kind of weird and you get a bunch of people writing blogs about how it doesn't really fit and they, they're not really sure what it gives. <laughs> but yeah, so nobody really understands them because they think of this, this single collective. And actually, one of the things that Op Catalunya does is it highlights a fundamental shift in Anonymous that we've been observing over the last year. Well, I mean, sorry to interrupt you, Rose, but what Anonymous were famous because really they, they did something against PayPal a long time ago. They did us PayPal. Yeah, back that was in the kind day. of a long, long time ago. Uh, what have they done that's actually been uh, really um, impactful in the la recently? Well, you know, as hesitant as I am to say it, because I don't want us to get DDoSed, very little. So they had Project Channelogy, which was their uh, operation against Scientology, and then they had Op Payback, which was against PayPal. And then the next big thing that they have is kind of Op ISIS. So they have this series oh, yeah. of Op Charlie Hebdo, Op Paris, Op ISIS. And they got quite a lot of traction, right? Yeah, okay. and, but they were essentially family-friendly operations. And family-friendly is how the anonymous collective refers to any operation that is legal. So it takes above-board means, so it's reporting so Twitter handles. Yeah. rather than uh, something that actually can be considered breaking the law. Yeah, and to them, um, members of the Islamic State were like, they are legitimate targets. So you can legitimately target them and you're not doing anything wrong. And then after Op ISIS, whereas beforehand it's essentially a large group of individuals who come together in these big internet relay chat channels or blog spaces and have conversations all together, you kind of see this splitting off of groups who think that this isn't what Anonymous is anymore. So it's gotten too big. They've gotten too consumed with their own reputation about Op ISIS, and they're going to go off and form their own small factions, which is how you get the rise of groups like Anon Plus, who were behind Op Catalonia. Okay, so these are factions within a kind of wider umbrella of Anonymous. Okay, and, yeah. I, and uh, I was interested to see when I was reading our reports on it around Anon Plus that, uh, yeah. that they're actually Italian. They're they not are. Spanish, they're not uh, Catal Catalan, they are, uh, they're from Italy. So why are they getting involved? Well, they have been around since 2016, actually, and Op Catalunya is the first anonymous hash that they've tweeted under. And I think it's because they've finally seen it as a vehicle that they can coordinate. So all of the operations up to now have been very central collective operations, whereas now they've got a more peripheral one that they can stamp their name on and their influence on. So what does this mean for future operations? Are they going to be more potent? Yeah, I think that it means that you're going to get much uh, you're going to get more isolated groups who don't rely on wider publicity. So they're going to be able to have much more... They're going to be able to conduct attacks over a longer term and they won't be destructive. I don't think that Anonymous will ever... or Members of the Anonymous Collective will ever gain that kind of destructive capacity that we see in criminal attacks, but they will be able to conduct a number of DDoS or defacement attacks. And 
over a long period of time, that does have quite a reputational impact. Mm-hmm. And also, <coughs> if you're a you know if you're a major financial institution and you keep getting DDoS, there are going to be more sophisticated threat actors out there who think, ah, they they must be vulnerable. I might go and check that out. Yeah. Okay, now it's time for any other business. Any other stories that you think our listeners should know about, guys? Mark, mm-hmm. you've been going on all week about a recent Cisco vulnerability. <laughs> well. Um, so it's quite yeah, okay, I know how dry uh, vulnerability uh, sort of um, analysis can be. Well, but, secretly yeah, quite I'm quite a big fan of, um, you know, really dull technical vulnerabilities. So, no, it, this was, um, uh, this week, uh, Cisco released some software updates addressing a uh, remote code execution vulnerability, which was affecting the Cisco Adaptive Security Appliance, ASA software, um, do you want the CVE number, or should we just give it a fancy name? No, give us the number. Uh, okay, right. Number. 2018 0101. What's the name you've given it? I haven't given it a name. Give it one right now. Sorry. <laughs> what should we call it? <laughs> Mind Blast. <laughs> uh, no, I have no idea. So it, it, um, well, essentially, um, it's interesting because um, it, uh, it affected, is it vulnerability was in the uh, secure sockets layer SSL virtual private network VPN functionality of the software so um, you know it's quite well used it's, uh, there's lots of um, uh, products that are reportedly affected um, and of course it's an RCE as well so it means you know you can uh, remotely exploit it so um, that kind of like you know hits our kind of thresholds here as being a more interesting vulnerability because it's more likely to be um, well if uh, an exploit is actually uh, developed for it, then um, and it can be used sort of um, um, reliably. It's a good exploit. Then um, possibly we'll start to see it being um, being weaponized and being used by by the baddies. Okay, so let's wrap up with a key takeaway from each of our guests. Rose, why don't you go first? I'd say that a key takeaway is that anonymous operations, hacktivist operations, are not going to go away. They're going to remain focused and targeted and there's something that people should be looking at even if they're not quite the flashy and destructive attacks of more capable threat actors. And Sam, anything from you? Yeah, I, I, just that cryptocurrency, and I guess in particular cryptocurrency exchanges are going to continue to be targeted simply just because the opportunities really outweigh the threats that currently face cyber criminal actors targeting this area. You know, we're seeing new Bitcoin or new alternative cryptocurrencies emerge all the time. Um, with that, they each have their own respective benefits and weaknesses. Uh, you have things such as initial coin offerings in which investors, uh, you know, will willingly part with money in an environment that isn't regulated. Um, and on top of that, you have currency exchanges like CoinCheck that in themselves are still maturing. And really, even though law enforcement is going to increasingly focus on this type of crime, they themselves are also getting up to speed with you know what is quite a complex technical crime. So yeah, I think we're going to see more of this in, in the near future. And Mark? Um, I guess um, we're going to see uh, Spectrum, you know, uh, criminals messing around with Spectrum meltdown a bit more. Uh, we might even see it being exploited um, by threat actors in the middle, you know, as a as a constituent part of an attack. Um, and also keep your eyes open for um, further RCEs, um, you know, uh, that are being uh, discovered. Um, that's always a, um, a good use of uh, threat intel to prioritise your um, patching regimes. Okay, great. That's all for this week's Shadow Talk. Thank you to my guests. Thank you, Rose. Thank you. Sam, thank you for coming. Thank you, Rafa. Mark, once again, thank you. Thanks, Raf, and thanks to all the pod bods. Thank you for listening. 
Um, another reminder that we'll have an added podcast in the middle of the next week where Mike Marriott will return to discuss Digital Shadows' latest research paper, The New Gold Rush, Cryptocurrencies at the New Frontier of Fraud. Sounds brilliant. I'm looking forward to it. Have a great week.